everybody, welcome back to episode number 50 of Tuesday Morning Grind. Today we're coming up on 50 episodes as well as the Thanksgiving holiday, so I want to take a break from our normal show and do something a little bit different. Today I'd like to look back at 50 episodes to date and surface a few of the most memorable insights I've learned from the incredible array of guests we've had on the show. We'll cover lessons learned from entrepreneurs, cybersecurity experts, privacy experts, and a lot more. So let's get started. One point that stood out to me back in episode number 30, when Kenneth Westby, the co-founder of Coalfire, had this to say. He said that every challenge presents a unique opportunity. Let's check it out. The opportunities usually are there where there's something hard, right? And so if you can look out and say, what are people having a problem solving? What, where's the challenge? Because it's really, where's that opportunity? What are people not able to, to solve easily. And then, you know, focus your efforts and look for, for opportunity to either, you know, on the consulting side and our services business is to step in and, and understand how can I provide guidance? How can I understand the, the problem space and the solutions and then turn that into a, you know, a service offering or on the technology side is how, you know, how do you solve this from a, a technical perspective? What, what kind of solution can you build and deliver out there? And so that's really been kind of the model I've taken to it. And even, you know, looking at the industry today, of just assessing where I think there's opportunity from an investment or from, you know, where, where you're going to see change in the industry. I really like his sense that inside the biggest challenges we face as a company, and I face as an individual, lies the biggest opportunities in terms of problems to solve. It reminded me of something that Justin Nasiri from Captivate AI said about not looking for shortcuts in life or entrepreneurship. My experience in entrepreneurship is there are a few things that are effortless returns, but it's usually things like paid ads where the moment I stop spending money, I stop getting that return. Everything else for entrepreneurship, anything that has added value has taken work. I haven't found any truly satisfying shortcuts. Almost everything takes continuous, painful <laughs> investments that over time make a difference. That's been true of my experience as well, starting and growing Risk360. It's taken continuous and painful investments over time to build where we are today. But it's been well worth it to see our team grow and our clients benefit from what we've created. And that made me think of the point that Mike Meyer from Salesloft shared in episode number 38. If you're starting a security program at a SaaS startup that's growing super fast, uh, you are going to be moving at 100 miles an hour all the time. And it's going to be really easy not to celebrate the wins. You've got to take that pause to just say, we did this. We, we knocked this out of the park. Celebrate those wins so that there's context for those constructive conversations. Given the opportunities that are available in a challenge and the guarantee that we'll face challenges as we build anything, I appreciate Mike's advice and celebrate those wins. It's something we try to do at Risk360 and I'd like to do more of, facing the biggest challenges in our industry, but also celebrating every win along the way. As I look back on all the challenges we've overcome at Risk360 and the victories we've celebrated, I know that it's all due to our incredible team. And that reminded me of this gem of wisdom that Colonel Rob Campbell shared with us in episode number 31. A lot of us have books inside of us, and I had one inside of me. The book, um, so it's personal, not personnel. Uh, where that came from is I was talking with an HR professional at Big Army where they managed all the people, and they were trying to move a soldier in the month of February from one post to another across the country, right? Big move. But we were used to that kind of stuff. But it's February. And he's got two daughters, one of which is a senior in high school. He's got a, a house with a mortgage his wife is working. So what do you think that does to a guy, especially his daughter, in the month of February? I knew that clearly. Uh, massive disruption. So you get one of two things. They uproot the family and move somebody in her senior year, or he leaves without the family, which is likely the option. 
And what a horrible time to do that. Couldn't the Army wait until, you know, graduation? So the point I made on the phone to this professional was, look, this stuff is personal. It's not personnel, right? Christian Hyatt has a life and a family and things going on, and we ought to take that into account. No, we can't always cater to your personal needs, but in this case, I think we could have. And so that was kind of the genesis of the title behind all that. And really, in the book describes uh, investing in people, putting people first, seeing through the lens of people through everything we do, caring for them, nurturing them, growing them, getting to know them deeply and their families. I knew that if we did that right, any mission that came our way, we would succeed. When you're building something, be that a company, a career, or a family, there are no shortages of things that can sap your attention. However, Colonel Rob Campbell's words have been a great reminder to me to focus on my people, to invest in them, to cultivate a relationship with them, and to understand what's going on in their lives. Along the way with Tuesday Morning Grind, I've received some great advice on how to grow a project and a company quickly. Two pieces of advice that stood out to me. The first is from Brooklyn Descent, a happiness consultant who shared this in episode number 18. We tell stories in a group just to test out the material. Listen and watch for the people's responses, right? For the key words that you put in there, the key things you say, the funny moments you have, the punchlines you have. Watch or listen to what they tell you as a response to the story because it can become part of the story. And so what happens is people help you to quote, unquote, write the story because you're testing it with a group. It doesn't matter. And, th- and that to me is rehearsal, but you're testing the material with different groups. I listen to what they say, bits of information. I'm like, oh, that was, a, that was a better line that I had. I like that word. I'm going to write that down. And so the next time I tell a story, I told it with really being written by a bunch of other people in the process, which is why it changes. I appreciate the sense of constantly refining and optimizing the way in which I describe what I'm doing. It helps me get more precise in my language and ultimately helps my team and customers understand me better. The second insight that stands out to me is from data analytics guru Trent Russell, who in episode 19 told me this. As far as leads and opportunities, it's probably been the best thing that I've done. Um, and I'm sure you know it's, it comes down to relationships more than anything, especially B2B is all about relationships. And so having that, you know, the way I do it is I usually do a 30 to 45 minute pre-call, especially with audit folks, because they are a bit over analytical. So they don't want to be like, you know, being recorded without kind of knowing what's what's coming up. So I'll do that just to kind of like clear the heebie-jeebies with them, talk about topics, logistics, all that kind of stuff. But in a 30 to 45 minute call, we might spend 10 minutes talking about the podcast a lot of times see like the clock ticking down. I'm like, okay, this is a great conversation, but uh, real quick about the podcast, you want to talk about these three things and these two other things. And then, okay, we'll set a date and here's how we'll do it. And then, okay, bye. You know, it's like a five minute deal sometimes. So it's been great for building relationships, probably the best thing for building relationships. I mean, if you think about it, what would be, I'm sure most of the people listening have sent a cold email. What's better? Hey, here's my thing. Buy it. Or, hey, do you want to come on my podcast to, to share your expertise with the world? 50 episodes in, I can attest to the power of podcasts to form deep relationships with thought leaders, customers, and people I admire. On this show, we've developed into more than just entrepreneurs and growth, but also about cybersecurity and privacy and had the opportunity to talk to some awesome people. Nicole Davenport, Chief Privacy Officer of High Trust, set the stage for why privacy is so important. Back in episode number 16, this is what she had to share. We put all of our personal information in our wallets and purses. You would not walk down the street with your driver's license and your credit card and the pictures of your kids and everything all over out for the world to see. But without good privacy and data protection, 
that's exactly what we're doing. Um, so I think that's that's why it matters. We are used to in the pre-digital age taking mm-hmm. care of all of our private information, not sharing it, not having it out there. And we need people to take it from that very physical protection to the online protections. In episode number 27, Jeremy Garcia, LinuxQuestions.org founder, took this thought one step forward. He talked about the importance of privacy and how technology is continuing to erode our privacy. Here's part of our exchange. What's your thoughts on the whole privacy world? I, I listened to Bad Voltage. You guys have some stuff on, on privacy and everybody should check that out if they haven't already. Like, What's your take on all this stuff when it comes to like social media, privacy, some of the controversy we're seeing? There's the Amazon uh, sidewalk thing that just opened up where they're going to, I guess, passerbys get access to your internet. That was interesting. So yeah, if you, uh, we do talk about privacy a lot on Bad Voltage. So badvoltage.org if you're interested. That's every other week. I think I am a, a very pro-privacy person. I am a private person, but also think privacy is important and something that people don't realize to what extent technology erodes privacy if you let it. The defaults a lot of times in Amazon Sidewalk is a great example. Like they just opted in years after you bought a device to a thing that didn't even exist when they shipped it in a way that is not only weird from a privacy perspective, and I get that everything's encrypted. I understand it's a separate network. It's very low bandwidth. Like from a technology perspective, I get what Sidewalk is. But I think the fact that Amazon, who makes so much money, would put their reputation at risk for something like that is is indicative of where companies are today. And it's a little bit scary to me. It's interesting to think about the implications of technology and its impact on our personal and professional privacy. So that gets most people thinking about what they can do to combat this. However, as Daniel Solov shared in episode number 29, and I can't believe I had the opportunity to talk to Daniel Solov. He's a master in the privacy space. And he said that it's not a simple answer. Daniel talked about how even sharing seemingly innocuous information can be dangerous when that information is used collectively to learn more about you than maybe you want people to know. A lot of the measures that people are given to do to protect their privacy are, I think, relatively meaningless. And so I tend to think that there's not a lot worth my doing, quite honestly. That doesn't mean I don't care about privacy. I really do. And I think there should be greater protections. But I think a lot of this can't really be done by putting the burden on the individual. Because when you give out information, let's say, should you give out, you know, your location, where you're going to a vacation, or the fact that you've read this book that you really like. Should you, you know, click like or five stars on a movie and put it on Facebook? And you might think, okay, it, it doesn't seem that bad, right? You know, okay, I'm disclosing that I really liked, you know, like this new Netflix series. Okay, I'm not embarrassed about that. You know, I, I'm happy to share that information. And I make the calculation based on that. But, you know, but that's not how big data works. That's not how privacy works. This can then be used and combined with other pieces of information that are equally innocuous. Uh, But that collective amount of information over a period of time starts to be revealing about me and starts to say things about me that I might not want to be said or make judgments about me based on an algorithm. Given the threats to privacy and security that are out there, it's been helpful speaking to some of the greatest minds in the field about how to keep companies and our information safe. Kelly Haxon, a former U.S. special agent, certified fraud examiner and private investigator, gave this advice back in episode number 36. What's some of the type of advice that you're giving businesses to prevent fraud? We always say surprise and delight your customers. Surprise and delight your employees. So if your employees think that you only look at checks over, say, $5,000, Pull a check for a thousand and say, hey, 
I want the invoice for this $1,000 check. So they think you're looking at all checks. The other thing is make your employees take vacations. If you have an employee who doesn't take vacations, why? It's because when they're on vacation, that bank statement's going to come in or that customer's going to call and say, my statement does not show my cash payment last month for $5,000. They have to get the phone. They have to open the mail. They have to be there all the time. So they have to go on vacation and it can't be two or three days. It needs to be a week or two weeks. The other thing is mail your bank statements home or to a PO box you control. No one should get your bank statement before you. There's this guy and he's a world famous speaker and I'm listening to him on a podcast and he's like, so I have my guy call me every Friday morning and he tells me what's in my bank accounts. He literally trusts him to say that he has a million dollars in five different accounts. He might have $10,000 in three accounts. You have to trust but verify. You have to get your bank statements first. These are great ideas that you can use to stay safe. I also spoke to Paolo Shakirian, who in episode number 25 talked about predicting hacks before they happen. He's developing an awesome piece of technology and knows all about predicting what the bad guys are about to do. And he had this to say. We collect from about a thousand different data sources. And for each vulnerability, you could we have kind of a dossier about everything that's said about that vulnerability across all that data. And that stems from everything from dark web discussions to Russian hacker forums to deep web to social media and even open sources and blogs. And kind of the trick is, is to take that information, clean it up as best you can and pull out the bits of it that are predictive. So, you know, are the hackers sharing code? Is the hacker who is involved in this discussion of the vulnerability reputable and has previously launched attacks? Is there something like a pen test module available or being created? You know, those kind of things, once you get all those lined up, you can then compare those to previous known attacks that used other exploits and come up with a correlation. And that's what machine learning is doing here. It's essentially creating a very sophisticated correlation between the pool of intelligence data and a pool of data uh, from reputable sources about known attacks. And so by combining that together, you can have very accurate predictions. We've also covered ground around how you can succeed as a security practitioner and even how you can break into the industry if you're just starting out. Luke McComey, also known as the Hacker Pyro, shared his thoughts about the top three things that you can do as a security practitioner. What do you look for when you're when you're building teams and looking for people that might be you know great security practitioners? First off, passion. I don't care how smart somebody is at something, how many years of university they have, what degrees they have, what jobs they've worked at before. If they're burned out and they're not happy doing what they're doing, you're you're going to get poor performance, poor product out of them. If if you take someone who is passionate and they love what it is that they're doing and you enable them to be able to succeed and grow and learn and constantly be challenged and constantly be able to feel like they're adding value and contributing, that person will be remarkable at whatever it is that you have them doing. So I would say the very first thing I look for when I'm hiring someone is passion. And second is your ability to communicate. If you are going out and doing an incredibly technical job and you have to then translate your actions, your methodologies, your findings into something that makes sense to an executive non-technical audience in a way so that they can truly understand the risk and the potential impact that exists within their business, 
you have to be concise and clean and clear about how you communicate. Number three is someone who wants to contribute to a healthy, positive culture within my businesses. And what I mean by that is I don't care if you are an extrovert and introvert. I don't care if you are a lone wolf or if you like to work with the team. I don't care if you love remote work and you're never going to come into the office for a day or if every single day you're going to be that guy that shows up at 6 a.m. with donuts, right? You be you. That is awesome. As long as you are bringing light and positivity and a good, healthy culture to that business. I, I don't ever want to hire people that are toxic, that erode or degrade from, from what it is that, that the team has worked so hard to build and create. These are great traits to keep in mind if you're trying to get into this industry or if you're already a practitioner. And if you're not in this industry, it's never too late. Pete Strauss, who's a recruiter in the cybersecurity space, had this to say in episode number 22. I think what a lot of people struggle with is they're being fed this line by security um, certification companies and degree programs that, hey, get a degree, get X, Y, and Z certification, and then you'll get a job in security. And, and that's not really happening. Hiring managers are looking for a couple of years of experience in technology before they're willing to hire somebody into a security role. So like the single best most important thing I think that you can do is gain experience in some sort of technology role, even if it's help desk or you know, something pretty entry level. I think what a lot of folks struggle with is they go through all the schooling and they have all these student loans or you know, they, they spent a fortune on um, certifications and now they're, they're, they're not able to get that job without taking you know, maybe a $15 an hour help desk job to start off. Um, so my advice to folks is always try and start off at the beginning entry level, um, try and get some technology experience however you can. If you can get an internship while you're in school, that's great. Really, it's about that hands-on experience in tech versus um, certifications and, and degrees. While those are great to have, it's going to be tougher to get a job if you don't have that hands, quote-unquote, hands-on experience. This is great advice for anyone who's trying to get into the cybersecurity space. It's a field that's been growing exponentially for the last few years, and you can't go wrong trying to get a career there. I'm excited about the road ahead for Risk360. So if you have ideas for people that you want to be guests on this show, people you'd like to hear us have conversations with, shoot us a note. Go to risk360.com, fill out a form, and let us know that you have somebody that you think would be great for the show. If you like listening to this podcast, you can do it on any of your favorite podcast apps. You can also check out our channel on YouTube. Go to YouTube and you can search for Risk360. We have a bunch of channels in there, a lot of which is free education about different security frameworks and different security topics. We also have a playlist for this very podcast, Tuesday Morning Grind. So I hope you guys join us. I hope you connect with the community. Thanks so much for listening.